Should U.S. troops really depart Syria, as the White House has been planning, the United States would lose more than the ability to shoot back at whomever were fighting over there. Also gone would be a valuable source of intelligence. Ditto for an exit from Afghanistan. That's according to my next guest. Jason Campbell is a policy researcher at the RAND Corporation. He joins me now in studio. Mr. Campbell, good to have you in. Good morning, Tom. And we should point out you were the country director for Afghanistan in the office of the Secretary of Defense for Policy. So you've looked at this part of the world pretty carefully. And tell us what else would be lost besides the ability to shoot back. Well, when drawing down forces in any theater, uh, one of the big losses is going to be your uh, access to intelligence. And in the case of both Syria and Afghanistan, uh, you're talking about two theaters that, uh, regardless of U.S. presence, are, are going to remain uh, hotbeds uh, for international terrorist threats. So what we're arguing is that uh, when considering the drawdown, uh, you must prioritize a factor like intelligence gathering among the other political uh, security and other factors involved. And how does intelligence gathering work when there are troops there? Is it the troops that are some troops doing intelligence gathering, or are they just interfacing with other assets that might be native that are on the ground that are reporting back? Well, it stands to reason that the the larger the footprint, the more opportunities you have for collection. So uh, if you have a a higher number of forces in country, you can have more overhead uh, ISR drones and other aerial collectors. You have more human, uh, human intelligence opportunities because even if you just have infantry patrolling, Uh, They're going to, uh, over time, build contacts in local villages and things of that nature. Uh, And then you have, you know, signals intelligence uh, where you can intercept uh, uh, signals and and other radio uh, frequencies. Uh, And as you start drawing down, uh, most of these intelligence gathering areas are pretty heavy in terms of personnel support requirements. So as you start drawing down, you lose those uh, touches and you have to start reprioritizing what is most important without having access to, to a vast array of resources. So it's probably safe to say that if you had 100 people, say, from the CIA, they could not really operate safely very long without the military support to give them cover and protection. You're absolutely correct. And that is, again, a, a sort of underappreciated subfactor here is that not just the CIA, any intelligence agencies, any State Department, USAID, any other uh, civilians operating on a ground in a theater of combat relies heavily on the presence of U.S. forces to provide just basic protection. And what about the people that are native, say Syrians or Afghanis, that are Mm -hmm. helping and reporting to U.S. troops? Is there any way to extract that information from the United States, any long-distance way of getting that same intelligence? Well, that depends. And that's another part of putting together a comprehensive mitigation package as you're drawing down is that the United States uh, invests a lot in building relationships with uh, local forces Uh, in Syria. They're mostly non-state actors in Afghanistan, obviously a a very robust uh, national army and police network. And that's where I, I think the pace of your drawdown and how you conduct the drawdown so if you abruptly just announce we're going to pull out you know, half or, or all of our forces, uh, that's obviously going to leave your on-the-ground partners uh, perhaps uh, less motivated to maintain a, a good working relationship going forward. So again, this is just a, another factor that needs to be considered. And you mentioned drone surveillance, and can't that also be done from the United States? Isn't most of it done from a long distance away? 
At a strategic level, yes. Um, but in terms of having the best knowledge of what it is exactly you're looking at, being able to coordinate those pictures uh, with, again, a more robust human intelligence network, signals intelligence, is going to make more likely that you know exactly what it is you're looking at. Because while aerial intelligence, ISR, is very valuable, uh, it is much more valuable when coordinated with other uh, forms of intelligence gathering. Yes. In other words, you might see a new white roof or something, but if you don't know what's inside there, all you know is there's a white roof there. Absolutely. And that is, as forces draw down, uh, that overhead surveillance tends to be either uh, less personnel heavy or, or something that you can do uh, what's re- commonly referred to as over the horizon, be it from U.S. bases in the Gulf or, or even back in the United States. We're speaking with Jason Campbell. He's a policy researcher at the RAND Corporation. And what is the nature of the intelligence that has been coming out of Syria and Afghanistan You mentioned knowledge of international terror. I mean, Mm -hmm. what is the benefit of this intelligence other than for the particular military operations there Mm -hmm. of the moment? Sure. And this is something I I know, for instance, uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Dunford has stated on the Hill is is that – Over the years, the United States has absolutely tamped down the threat of terrorists, international terrorist networks in the Afghanistan-Pakistan border region. Um, But that tamping down has come through the persistent presence and and investment of U.S. resources in that region. And were we to back down in a way that didn't adequately uh, uh, incorporate that, uh, the the likelihood that some of these groups would metastasize again and sort of reignite uh, is very high. So it's again for the time being, it, it is uh, uh, the threat is uh, has been pushed down, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way as the United States evolves its presence. So the implication of that is that most of the plots are hatched and planned over there, even though they might be executed over here. So the the extent that we don't have knowledge over there means they can get much more advanced in what they would do over here, maybe too late for us to know about it in advance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, they're in those parts of the world, they, you know, they have more freedom of movement. They have better knowledge of the local terrain and, and political environment. They have, in many cases, relationships with local tribes and governing networks. So that's an area of the world that they're very comfortable operating in and, and certainly uh, provides them ample opportunity to both recruit, train, and, and plan. Sounds like this situation is what might have given rise to the testimony the other day of the intelligence community that seemed to contradict what the president was saying about the situation and the how much closure we've had over there. Well, yes, and, and that's you know, one of the biggest challenges for any policymaker is that there is no victory when uh, fighting terrorism. You know, terrorism at its core is a tactic uh, and one that is always going to be a threat. And the challenge for policymakers is how do you use your finite resources uh, and where do you place them uh, to uh, best uh, protect the United States homeland from that persistent threat? Is it possible to have just enough military presence to catalyze the intelligence without having military operations? Absolutely. But that depends, again, on the particular mission and really the specific relationship with those host nation partners in hostile area like Syria, where the the government is not in any way an ally of the United States. That's a little bit more difficult to do in a place like Afghanistan, where we've really had a a very strong hand in building, uh, again, a robust Afghan national army and police presence. There are certainly probably more options uh, to do something like that. 
In other words, without force protection of the force, which mm-hmm. is comes from having enough, right. then you would have unprotected forces, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a contradiction, but they could easily be overrun if they don't have enough fellow troops along yes. there with them. No, that's absolutely right. One of, again, the underreported aspects of certainly a place like Afghanistan, where we, the United States has and its NATO allies has an established presence, is that when you're confronted with these troop ceilings, once you get below a certain threshold, you, you start having to discuss where are we going, which bases and which parts of the country are we going to have to withdraw from and which bases do we close. And every time you do that, um, you're talking about opening up a, an area of vulnerability that impacts not just obviously the international threat, but now you still have forces on the ground in other parts of the country, and you've got areas of the country where uh, you are losing your access to information, which could impact even your operational personnel. Jason Campbell is a policy researcher at the RAND Corporation. Thanks so much for joining me. It was my pleasure, Tom. Thanks. We'll have links to more information and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.